Welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we discuss the two greatest art forms known to humanity. Beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, but other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. Let's hope that both segments tonight are the former. My name is Joe Hilliard. I'm here every week alongside Dave Gurney. And we have got David. Listen to me. This is my maybe my favorite guest that we've got. <laughs> oh my goodness. She is back. She always comes <laughs> filled with notebooks and filled filled with filled notebooks and filled with opinion and filled, filled with, with warmth ideas, and humor. Filled with, yeah, no, I mean <laughs> I didn't bring a notebook this time. It is Kaylee Diaz. Oh, that's okay. Okay. So you just undercut the whole intro. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I even thought about it. I um so I was watching the That's a lot of work that notebook. Over you the, uh, I it was, and I really thought about it. I was like, oh, I could draw these cute little Tetris. Oh, um, yeah. Tetris would have been a fun I'm, one. The, 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 I, spoiler, yes. folks. That's, oh, that's so, our first sorry. No, yes. no. They, they see it's the episode a, title. We it, This is a weird, like, I, superstition I not, that we have about, like, we superstition. Don't we're doing right. Tetris, and then we're doing uh, the man, man with a movie, movie camera. camera. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, hey, now we can talk Cats about both of, of them. That's yes. right. So, no, I almost did the notebook. I thought about it. Had I even had the paper out, and I was like, you know, is that real extra? I think I'll I think I'll skip this time. I almost showed up in my pajamas, so you're welcome. <laughs> and and I, you are totally welcome. To, I, I have actually recorded in pajama, like you know, sweatpants, yes. t-shirt. You know, we record at my house, so they. Yes. I sleep without a shirt on, and that's how I prefer. Okay, to record. But yeah, we're not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing shirtless, Joe. So well, David, we two films that are Russian centric or or set, yeah. and we thought, well, let's go get some Russian beer from. Uh, one of the local liquor stores. We wanted a Russian beer. I did. So I went to Total Wine, right? Because they've got a very nice selection. They even have it like broken out with signage above the sections for different countries. Yes. Found nothing from Russia. Sought out a employee, found the manager, said, hey, I'm looking for anything from Russia. We have nothing from Russia. Because when the Ukraine-Russia situation occurred, we yeah. were showing our support for the Ukraine. We removed all Russian beers and products, vodka, all of it, from our shelves. Oh. So we landed on North Coast. And here's the thing. Sometimes we talk about beers that you yeah. cannot find uh-huh. where you live. But today, I think you'll be able to find this. This is North Coast Brewing Company. This is a product of the USA. It's, it, it proudly says the old Rasputin Russian Imperial Stout. If you are a craft beer person at all, I know that you have had this before. They are out of Fort Bragg, California, and I'm looking for the ABV 9%. We're starting off with 9%. So yes. that is how we're going to put together the idea of a, a Russian connection. Well, and it, it's an interesting one. I mean, it it's kind of... um. It's not totally surprising to me when you shared this story with me. I it made sense. I'm like, okay, I get, I get that. I can see that uh, folks are taking a principled stand against Russian imports mm-hmm. these days, um, and it it actually kind of ties into the theme of, well, really, certainly Tetris, uh, in the, in the sense that you know that it was capturing a different moment in. U.S. or global Soviet relations, and it was the Soviet era, not Russia per se. Yeah. Um, but one that was not warm, right? It was, it was the Cold War, right? Yeah. I mean, it was it was a time <laughs> where we were at this kind of standoff with it, like which economic system will reign supreme? Will it be this sort of communist system that the Soviets have imposed or the or you know brought in, or will it be you know Western capitalism? And, uh, you know, right now we, we kind of have different kinds of 
both hot and cold aspects of this war that's going on. Yeah, yeah. there's a there's everybody's got a hot take too. Like I was like, man, I, I wonder if we're really gonna hit into Russia when we talk about this. Uh, these movies can't avoid tonight. it. You can't avoid it. Yeah. But then again, I was at the store the other day, and all of a sudden, the guy in front of me just went on a tangent. I'm like, bro, I would just like to buy what I'm here to buy. <laughs> and I mean, it was a vape shop, so I'm like, you're standing between the bongs and the rolling papers, <laughs> and you're trying to argue and tell. Just shut. And I'll take that third bong from the left. Yes, I mean the one with the peace symbol on it. Give me that one. There Um, you go. There you go. It's been very interesting hearing uh, super hot takes coming from all directions on those on those aspects. I think they were trying to boycott. Was it Smirnoff for some super basic Russian brand? But it wasn't Russian. It's made in like Michigan or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone's like, "Oh my God, you're going to be serving that!" Like. Listen, lady. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. some might take umbrage with us even having a Russian imperial stout. The word Russia though, is on the bottle. Right. This is made in the U.S. It was a Russian imperial stout. According to North Coast's website, it's produced in the tradition of 18th century English brewers who supplied the court of Russia's Catherine the Great. Old Rasputin seems to develop a cult following wherever it goes. It's a rich, intense brew with big, complex flavors and a warming finish. So we'll be the judge of that after we talk about the film that we, you know, the new release this week. It's available now on Apple TV, streaming if you have that service. It is Tetris, as we said. It's set in 1988. An enterprising game developer, played by Taron Egerton, Elton John from Rocket Man, uh, he risks everything in a race to outmaneuver duplicitous insiders to negotiate a deal with Soviet Union bureaucrats for the international licensing rights to what would eventually become one of the most recognizable and widely played video games of all time. Good synopsis. Who had a, a OG Game Boy as presented in the movie? I, I, I did. Yes. You did? I, I did I, not. I, I well, did not. my cousin did. Um, I did not. I had a Game Boy Advance when the, the yeah. Game Boy Advance was color that the came next, out. The next it was iteration. The, yeah, that's yeah. like if you turned your phone sideways yep. instead of. I mean, there's fancy words, uh, portrait or landscape. There I you had go. the landscape. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Um, but I did have like the original Nintendo. I still have my original Nintendo and my Sega Genesis at home. Yeah. Um, so no, we had games, but they were all hand-me-downs because I was born in the 90s. Yeah, I remember late, late high school going on a ski trip on a bus or something, mm-hmm. and someone had that Game Boy. And it did was it was packaged with Tetris. Yeah. Yep. And that is an addictive game. I love it. Still is. And when our lead character sees it for the first time at uh, the Las Vegas uh, Consumer Electronics Show, show, it becomes his mission, he's a game developer himself, to get at least the licensing rights so that he can make a bundle on what he knows is going to be this addictive video game that everyone's going to want to play. And it, um, I had low expectations of this movie going into it. Uh, Not a huge fan of rocket man and the lead actor necessarily and the it seemed like it was gonna be you know kind of it could be either really good and fun or really silly and i'll reserve judgment until we talk a little bit about it i thought it was gonna be sillier um just because my experience with him more is like kingsman oh yeah same guy right kingsman so i'm like oh it's gonna be like really serious and we're super spies and then you know we're doing Okay, if you've seen Kingsman, they do all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So right. I was, I think I was expecting like, oh, is it going to be too serious or is it going to be too silly? But I was, I was, I'm pretty pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah, I think there's kind of a mix here, right? I mean, there, there is some serious thriller aspect here, um, but, but then 
a fair amount of humor and, and a lot of like kind of intercultural humor, like in terms of how the Russians operate versus, you know, or the Soviets operate versus how um, Edgerton as Hank, right? Hank is mm-hmm. Hank Rogers. Um, it, with the American background that he has, how he operates and what, how he conducts himself. Also, how the uh, the the British uh, media moguls, right? Um, I'm trying to remember what are the, the Maxwells. Thank you. There we go. Kevin, don't call him Kevin. He's Mr. Maxwell. Mr. Maxwell. Mm-hmm. But he is not good to the last drop. No, <laughs> no, he is not yeah. like Maxwell House. Uh, but to go back to what Joe was asking earlier, so I, you know, growing up, I did the first video game system that we had was a Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES. Right. Um, and it was one that it was. You know, I had a younger brother. We could position it as this is a gift for both of us. It was one of those, like, a, a big Christmas gift that went to both of us. And if I remember correctly, probably the system, at least the package we got, because there were the different ones where you'd, like, get the gun and so you'd in the Duck Hunt game mm-hmm. came with that. <laughs> or then you'd get – there was actually a video robot. You remember that, Rob? Robbie, the video robot, no. and there was a game that it was kind. Of, I never had it. I think I had a couple friends who got that, and it was pretty gimmicky and dumb. And I don't think that actually ever. <laughs> it was kind of like the the Power Glove. It was one of those things yeah. where like, okay, the people who got it maybe got to show off for a half a day or two, and then their friends would actually come over and use it and be like, oh, this is garbage. This isn't anything. Oh, that it's we'd like my play Oculus. With. Yeah, my really expensive. Oh, is Oculus that how you that feel about around. Oculus? Isn't isn't VR the thing? I mean, it's cool, but like nobody else is ever online, um, and then the games are like, oh, the game's super awesome and then after you played it for five minutes yeah. you get, or you get out of the beta area it's yeah this great. is definitely going to be an after hours conversation is our entire history with yeah. home console well, games but, but just yes. to fast forward I'm an, I'm an Atari 2600 man when the Game Boy came out a year or two later after I had made yeah. my successful bid to get the NES it was definitely something that I wanted but it was something that was a big ask for a single gift present, you know, like for, mm-hmm. for just me, like it's going to be my little handheld. And they could, I, I didn't swing my parents on that one. Right. So, but I had friends who had them. I remember and I remember playing Tetris on the Game Boy when friends got yeah. that uh, system there for that Christmas, whatever it was, 89, I think when it what came What level out. did you get to? <laughs> That's a great question. I have no idea. Yeah, the movie... How do you make a movie about obtaining the licensing rights for a video game? I this is while you learn that there are different licenses. I didn't know any of this. That there no. are different licensing rights for the PC, yeah, for consoles and for uh, arcade stand ga- stand up games, yeah, and then also this new, according you know, in the setting of the film, this new thing that didn't exist prior, right. The handheld device, right. That's a separate licensing thing, and. You're talking about contracts, and you're talking about, you know... Uh, <laughs> legalese. Uh, yeah, legalese and, yeah, yeah. and negotiations. And I got to tell you, I loved all of those parts. <laughs> I thought it was so interesting and so well, I guess, entertainingly presented yeah. that you don't get lost at all, and you kind of understand that we're watching how... like the advent, the invent of all of this stuff right. so that there's so much gray area as to how it's going to operate that that Atari illegally gets the licensing for a little while. Right. And it explains how that all happened, why Nintendo is working with the British company, all of the relationships. Yeah. I, I found all of that stuff actually very, not just entertainingly presented, but interesting. Yeah, it was really interesting um, for me. I I felt I was gonna have a hard time following this because I'm just not very business minded to be honest. Uh-huh. And so we start talking about 
oh, well, they excluded the keyboard. That's not a yeah, computer. Yeah. It's now it's this. I'm like, okay, hold on. Wait. <laughs> hold on. All right. Wait, hold, what? <laughs> and so get out I, the pie charts. Can I you thought point I me? was going to get lost, but I actually didn't have as, as a difficult time. I was like, okay, cool. So we don't like the short guy. The guy with the dark hair is a dick. And this guy is the good guy because he was in the Kingsman and he does everything right. And so it's cool. We got it. The thing that really kept catching my attention, and I know it's just a product of, um, of my generation, of my age, it baffles me that it was literally just a ballpoint pen signature on a piece of paper, and you better hope you didn't lose that shit. Because yeah. they were making the contracts. It's like, yeah, just sign it. I'm like, we're not faxing it to people. It's not. There's not a digital copy. There's yeah. not this. You're just hoping that you show up and you have the right paper. Like, what if somebody just took their lighter and went, poof, ha, yeah, ha, yeah. sir, you no longer have a contract. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Before it, you Xeroxed it. Yes. I mean, it's a... It, it's a it used to be like a trope in movies, like people tearing up contracts yeah. and stuff. And like that was a definitive end, like not as if we have a backup copy already that we could just, mm -hmm. well, no, look, yeah. you signed it. It's in perpetuity. This mm -hmm. is a, no, th but this really was like physical documentation. Yeah. You're right. That is kind of, a, you know, a lot of things about this era are really interesting to me. I mean, it's one that obviously, you know, as we've just talked about, I lived through as a right. young person i mean i remember hearing about not the tetris negotiations in particular <laughs> but this era of you know the, the video game industry uh, sort of blossoming turning into what it has turned into um becoming you know it's that's one of the funny things about this film to me when i was watching it was like these these amounts that they're negotiating over seem trivially small which is you know, right <laughs> like, it's I'll it's funny i mean that. it gets up to millions but even then it's like we're talking about four or five million where you know that when we're talking about like Last of Us, right? Which has yeah. been a topic of conversation on After Hours because we've been watching the series that was adapted oh. from the games. That's like a multi, I, I think that probably when you tally all the stuff it's done, it's like in the billions of dollars sure. in terms of sales and all that, that you know goes into it. Um, and with films, right, with it, which are very parallel to it, you know, like we're talking about things in the hundreds of millions of dollars and billions of dollars. But, you know, here it's like life or death. And we're talking about, as you said, <laughs> Kaylee, $25,000, mm -hmm. $50,000 to that, you know, and I guess it's the promise. I mean, part of, you know, the, the excitement of it is that, you know, it's just the tip of the iceberg. And that people like Hank, the Taron Edgerton character, can kind of see that and mm -hmm. know, look, this is... You know, right now it may just be the computer nerds and the people who are, you know, home PC people. Well, by then the NES was out. I mean, the setting it of the was, film. It was, but... And Atari had already come out. But I mean, it was only a PC game initially, or it was, you know, again, it was spreading that way. But I'm talking about way. the potential of it all, because yeah. every kid well, that's what I, I mean. knew yeah. had the Atari 2600, right? Half and a quarter of those had the ColecoVision, right. which was trash. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but then... Look at you. By the time the NES Still came out, talking. it was... it. There's big money to be yeah, made here. Yeah. Well, and, it was, and you've got to buy the cartridges. Yeah. You have to buy like the. It's like um, the, the first fix is free. The 2600 console wasn't that expensive. Well, you know, kind of was, but the games themselves sure. pitfall add up. Yeah. Was that's what they're banking on right. is the success of each individual game. But games can fail. So $50,000, and also in the context of this is we're paying these two Russian companies that, quote unquote, in the movie, don't care about money. Yeah. Which, whatever. <laughs> they're trying to uh, get the rights well, by trading the Collier Encyclopedia yeah. Yeah. Uh, brand, which hey, I thought was hilarious. they have to bring glory and honor to Russia, okay? It, that is their uh, only concern. Because uh, <laughs> Hank's 
game that he was pimping at the beginning of the movie was a failure, right? It didn't. It yeah, wasn't going to make right. any money. Will Tetris make the money we think that it's going to? Uh, we don't know. So you can pay all, a little bit up front, but then the reward, if it hits as big as, of course, Tetris did, is oh, astronomical. Right, right. But, but I guess, and you're absolutely right. I guess he knew that right then and there, in that moment, there was bigger potential for a game like that. Mm -hmm. But then if you think about it and the movie doesn't get into this, but if you if you read about it and you understand that like he went on to really create this corporation that has gone on to be multi multi million dollars over the years yeah. licensing the Tetris brand and and they were involved in some other games. You see like, you know, again, these kind of visionaries who would see like, okay, well we have this much activity right now. That's going to grow and blossom into something. Now, for every Hank there's a hundred people who are making bets on game or, you know, whatever it is, like avenues that never prosper right. that way. But he happened to pick a winner here with video gaming and did so in a big way. So that, so that's kind of an interesting piece of the history that I liked watching in this, where it was, you know, yes, the stakes were high, but nowhere near as high as they would eventually be. And yet they seemed very important at the time. And it was just becoming clear how important they were. For at least two reasons. One, that video gaming was expanding. But the other, right, we were on the precipice of this moment with the Soviet Union where communism wasn't really working out. At least, their, you know, their approach to socialism, which, you know, has been dubbed communism and what they, you know, it really didn't work the way that those, um, you know, sort of uh, the Leninists, the people who had helped sort of overthrow um, the, the Russian Empire, like, it didn't go in that direction, right? It got very locked down. And so to me, you know, I th I did like this movie. I like this movie. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to be clear before I say my next Well, thing, I feel like I it, did like it. No, no, no. It's not even in that for that. But I, but I think I'm going to reveal it by saying, you know, like I think one of the things I liked most about this movie was this interesting snapshot in time of what it must have been like or what it was like. Again, this is fictionalized. We're getting in. Mm -hmm. Joe, you sent that video that kind of yeah. talks about some of the differences. I was really curious to know which parts were fact and which parts were fiction. Yeah. And but but even, you know, with the stuff they, they may have adjusted a little bit, the basic idea that this was a major global superpower that was about to go from being very locked into a very specific sort of economic system to one that was very radically different from that and actually had been sort of diametrically opposed and, and seen as the evil mm -hmm. in the world because of it. Like you're talking about Kaylee, like everything they do is for country and it's for, <laughs> it's for Russia. Yeah. But what we see is the reality, it was never it was that. Never that. And I mean, just to follow that really quickly, uh, one of the things I found most interesting in the film was that you did have good guys and bad guys on both sides of it. And when I yep. say both sides of it, I'm specifically saying Russia and not Russia. Yeah. Um, so because we've got Hank's going in there and he's really trying to do like what's right for his family, what he thinks is right for Alexi. Right. He's like, he's our good guy. And then of course we have Maxwell, who's kind of a dick all the time. And I am Mr. Maxwell to you. But then when we really get into the Russians, you also have people who are like, oh, Alexi. Uh, Alexi's adorable, for mm -hmm. the record. He was, he Alexi's might the be. original game designer yes, who designer. knows that the property immediately goes to the state. He I has mean, no yes. financial interest in the game. And, and we can all agree he is the like most noble character of them yes. all in the, in the film. I mean, may, maybe between him and... Um, um, Gonna the, the guy who he's negotiating with it. I was trying to remember his name. Uh, the character. Yeah, was I don't it? Remember. Uh, oh, I don't anyway, but but you hear what I'm saying? Like, yeah, he, the, he was. Alexi really was to definitely work with yeah. yeah the head of the company that owns Tetris. 
Well, at the time, yes, right. but it wasn't a company. It was, you know, the government agency right. that oversaw. I, wish, I yeah. wish there maybe had been a little bit more explaining because, I mean, I'll admit, like, I'm not as educated on everything that was going on at that time period. Mm-hmm. I was I was here a little late for it, so I, I remember a little bit from high school. Right. And then everything else I'm just kind of grasping as we go. I'm like, okay, I know there's communism. Mm-hmm. I know, in theory, what That's communism Gorbachev. is. So, like, I'm trying to, like, kind of figure it out as we go. And so I maybe... Maybe just dumb it down a little bit for those of us who maybe didn't experience quite as much of the history. Yeah. Um, other than that, it, it still wasn't hard to follow. Like the yeah. general, the yeah. gist was there, but my a whole, dummy's edition. Yeah, my whole thing about the gamble, you know, uh, was to set up, I guess, the notion of what the stakes are in the film. And that is that Hank is so sure that this is going to be a hit, that every kid's going to want in their stocking, that he literally. Uh, puts his house up. That's the house. His apartment. For, for, yeah. for collateral. I mean, he's, he's going to lose it all. In Tokyo. In Tokyo, where, <laughs> oh yeah, God. right. But like having that kind of real estate if is a big If this doesn't deal. work, if he's outmaneuvered yeah. with these negotiators that are much more savvy than he is, then he's going to lose everything, including yeah. poten- potentially his family if they revolt because right. of the decisions that he's made. That's what sends him to Russia. Right. And I enjoyed uh, the idea. It is illegal for you to try to do business here with a tourist visa because <laughs> right. you're not going to have time to get the business visa that you need. Right. Like and you are trespassing mm-hmm. just by going to the offices of the people who right. you're trying to negotiate with. How he crashes the offices unannounced. Yeah. Uh, very American, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. How he gets there and realizes that he won't be able to make a phone call because there's limited amount of lines literally that leave oh, Russia. It was like eight hours to, yeah, a week yeah. to make yeah. a phone call. Uh, the idea that he gets... Now, here's a cinematic notion, the idea that he gets a very cute, bubbly uh, female translator right. uh, who makes a pass at him, you know? And then we find out that she's actually uh, in the KGB. Now, was, I knew the second did that you? she made oh, the yeah. pass. Oh, come on. That was such a... Because there was no buildup to it. Photos it was just were like, taken oh, of this is, them kissing. Yeah, it was compromat. Yeah. The, that is the term they used. I hated the way that yeah. she looked when we saw her for that scene. Like, as soon as she showed up and she went from her, like, soft, pale blues. Oh, to, like, into KGB she, business. Yeah, it's yeah. very black yeah. and hair slicked back and, like... Like, I'm like, girl, you were not that hot. <laughs> it, like two scenes ago, calm down. You're a double agent. Yeah. Get rest. I, I, I'm calm done. Down. I liked, yeah, I liked, I liked it. This movie very much. It kept me on the edge of my seat. I, you know, that we saw in that video that I shared with you guys that the car chases were added for you oh, know sure. cinematic yeah. effect, the shootouts and whatnot. But um, I, I liked the relationship that was built between Hank and the Russian, uh, uh, the inventor of the game, who's Alexei, very reticent yeah. to yeah. even get involved because he's got Russian well, philosophy that is kind of a little bit anti-American, and you're going to be this showboat American that comes in to profit off a thing that I can't profit from. Yeah, well, I liked that, and I liked the build of that relationship. Well, and I like the st- I, I like seeing through that character what it you know a version of what it must have been like to have been. A Soviet citizen in that time where like you grew up and your entire life was you're in this system where everybody's saying it's all about the collective good it's all about that but then as you work your way into it you start to see the people well yeah but some people seem to get more of the collective good than others and some people yeah. seem to be the ones who are pulling the strings in this system and they actually mm-hmm. greed is present in it and you make those kind of realizations, but you're not. But when it's the only way that you've known things to work, it's got to be really hard to disentangle yourself from them, right? You can kind of see the conflict with Alexi, where he's very resistant to Hank at first because he's bringing this like very alien kind yeah. of energy yeah. and approach to 
you know, he Alexi doesn't even think of it as business. He's just thinking of it as the thing that he does. I, I don't know, because we, we get that revelation where he starts to talk about his dad and his dad published well, there, the book. Yes, and yes. And, like, I mean, for me, it, it kind of, like, kind of filled out that hesitant where yeah. it was like, oh, you know, well, maybe he just doesn't want to be involved. He doesn't want to be involved. You're like, oh, this happened with his dad. And well, then you're seeing him with his sons. You're like, okay, we're trying not to repeat history yeah, here. Yeah. So I think there's a little mix in, in that complication. I agree. I agree. And I, and I think what you, what you point to, you know, it reminds you that, yes, there may be people who totally buy into the system. Mm-hmm. There may be people who just don't know any better. But there may also be people who have seen people get generational trauma right that have had family members killed Mm -hmm. disappeared and it's better to just comply i don't want to get in trouble i want my children to have a father i don't want to be so you know the intimidation factor which Mm -hmm. was a huge part of what the soviets were running Mm -hmm. on at that point was this sort of intimidation how did you guys feel about the uh gimmick of like the eight bit transitions i thought that was cute i mean (laughs) <laughs> I say cute, but it's like it helped to bring a little vibrancy to the film. Which when is, a new character would be presented, for yeah. example, they'd go to an eight-bit little. Or when uh, they were doing establishing shots yeah. of buildings, they often showed them. I, I got first tired thing. of the establishing shots. Really, stuff. I did. Mm. But the other part, I, I got. It's a mode, motif of the game that's being presented as the subject right. matter. I, I, mean, I loved when the cars were dinging stuff, and you would they would turn. Oh into yeah, like Bing. Mm-hmm. yeah. So like I was like, oh, that's cute. That's cute. That was. Yeah. It was enough that I'm like. <laughs> <that's> adorable. <laughs> But not enough that, like, every time they touched something that they were going into a full, like, yeah. right. animation. I was like, okay, I like, I yeah. liked it. I thought it was cute. I think this is a perfect movie for streaming. It's just an entertaining, fun little ride. Yeah. I don't think that we'll be talking about this when we start putting together our t- best of 2023 lists. Maybe, maybe, mo- maybe most surprising. Maybe. It, it, it certainly exceeded my yeah. expectations in a very large way. But the performances overall were pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um. But it, it, it is a bit of a smallness to it that I think whenever we say, God, we've got to see that on the big screen to, <laughs> to soak in the cinematic majesty, that yeah. seeing this at Apple on Apple TV and the comfort on my couch was just fine. This was my first Apple TV stream. Um, I didn't even know we had Apple TV. I went on That's my a Xbox. fun surprise. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to like go and do this free trial and blah, 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 blah. Ends up Anthony got a free trial, uh, so my husband had already like signed in, downloaded everything. So I click it, and it's like, oh, launch? I'm like, oh, yeah, launch. Do you want to watch Tetris? Yeah, I'm actually going to watch Tetris. <laughs> AI so is involved. Are you the KGB? Are you? <laughs> but um, just, from, just from going where I'm like, oh, okay, oh, it's showing me a trailer. Oh, and yeah, yeah. And I was like, wait, no, this is the movie, because it... The movie really does start. And oh, you're, you're right. It. It's like introducing. Yeah, no, it, you're right. Well, the first 17, 18 minutes of this movie are nonstop. And so at first. Well, and it almost right. feels like the story ends at a certain point, but then it's really just beginning. Yeah. But yeah, 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 yeah. It was, yeah. I, I was just like, oh, damn it. Like, this is the trailer. Now I have to figure out how to go back and do. I was like, oh, wait, no, it's still going. <laughs> and then we were, we were a few minutes in. I'm like, no, I think this is the movie. Okay. Yeah. I'm paying attention now. So that's, yeah, it was that's a, funny. I, so I I hear uh, what Joe's saying, and we, we can talk after hours about what on <laughs> Apple TV you should now be watching. Oh, okay. <laughs> you have now a lot of work to do. Yes, um, but for but three months. Um, I I agree with you, Joe. I think that this is one that actually is well suited to the small screen. We watched it at home. I watched it with Aaron and Adela. We tried to even get Sabine, but she was like not into. It. I think the business law stuff just didn't quite um, capture her her imagination or attention. Um, so it's probably not a kid's film. But that said, I think that 
it, you know, the contract negotiation scenes, which are primarily like a lot of what makes up this movie, are really just as fine and, and in fact maybe benefit from being able to put captions on. I know <laughs> I know mm-hmm. that sometimes uh, that that can be a sin and it can be a little bit distracting, but I find it helpful, especially when it's like dense dialogue and there's a lot of you know, people going back and forth. Um, the I think they try maybe to put in the visual flair with those little you know sort of eight uh, bit animation segues, and I think to some extent the car chase stuff at the end. Mm-hmm. There's some moments throughout, but none of it got to the level where I was like, "Oh, I really need to see this in the yeah. cinema." So, well, I I this is a rare film where I will say like I don't think this would have been a better experience if I had seen it in the theater. I think you're right, Joe. It was appropriate. And I think especially, you know, given what, for me, what was, I mean, I, I said it, but I, but I, you know, just want to sort of emphasize it. I really do think this is an interesting snapshot of a very particular moment. And I think it's very um, purposefully telling this story of, hey, you know, as much as, uh you know, the, the, and, and I'm with it. Like, we may have interest in certain socialist p- approaches to, 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 to uh, the economy that there are some real drawbacks to that kind of approach too, right? I mean, it's something that's kind of easy to forget because there aren't that many. I mean, China is still kind of communist at this point, but they've also kind of opened up in this weird way to private enterprise and they... they um, but you look at this, it's like, well, they, look, any system we put in place, the greedy assholes are going to... And we see that with the capitalists, too, because we see yeah. it with the Maxwells. The yeah. Maxwells, the whole thing is you have the father who has been running a sham media <laughs> empire who's like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in the red, but trying to hide that by doing shifty things with his book, right? We see that... The, like, he ends up $900 million yes, in debt. Right. I'm like, just round it to a billion, my guy. There you like, go. But he's on. like saying he's a billionaire on papers. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's... It's it, 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 so like there are sins on either side, yeah. but I think one of the big differences is within that communist system that it, they had put together. There was such centralized control that if you have the the villains with control, like and they control everything, what else are you going to do, right? Yeah. And, th- and this film kind of positions, uh, you know, well, then there were people from the inside, like eventually the uh, the double agent there, um, Sasha, right? Uh-huh. She does turn and kind of. become more sympathetic to Hank and his cause Mm -hmm. if only because she comes to realize that uh, Trufinov, right? I think that's the the character who's like the... The orchestrated, a, orchestrated a bribe with the yeah. Max. Right, he was being. Team. Yeah, right. He was going to be compensated directly right. for this kind of deal that was going on. If we're gonna do business with these Americans, shouldn't we at least play fair? I think that was her point of view. Right. Well, and also, shouldn't it be maybe the person like Alexi who actually created this mm-hmm. thing? who would be one of the beneficiaries rather than some government official who's just willing to pull the strings right. to kind of say that this is... Now, I mean, I think this probably, you know, it's a fictionalization. Yes. Of it. Like, now, Hank and Alexi did in real life go on to yeah. form the Tetris company. So clearly, yeah, there's some help truth. Yeah, he Alexi to America. There's truth yeah. to the fact that there was a connection made. And I love that part. And that Hank valued Alexi as a creator 
and wanted to see him get compensated appropriately yeah. for that. And so like, let's, it, Hank is our good capitalist here, right? Hank is the <laughs> one who's saying like, yes, I'm the businessman who has the vision and the ideas and I can push this stuff further than anybody else might ever be able to. But I want to give credit and I want to have the guy who actually created the thing yeah. get get in here. It's like the fair, compassionate sort of version of capitalism versus the Maxwells who are just like, we're going to take whatever the hell we can get out of this. We're going to cut yeah. people out when they're no longer uh, convenient and helpful to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was funny, um, just like a little thing that I kept noticing. So they had like three kids, right? Hank yes. and his wife, you, but we only ever see like Maya. A couple of them disappear. And I'm like, There's I'm like, like a, where did your children go? It's a good question. Did the Russians take them? Is it, that why you only have the early one in the CEO? film? You're you're right. Early in the film, like when we get the cleaning up the bedroom scene <laughs> and stuff, like there's three. Yeah. And then like at a certain point, it just becomes all fixated on the one's Maya. recital. Maya is that uh, the and old Maya? I think I yeah. think it was Maya. Yeah. And then, like, from then on, you're seeing just her with the mom and the mom but coming home with just her. But she ends up being the CEO her. of Tetris today. Well, there you go. So I'm like, okay, so what, your other daughters didn't achieve enough? They didn't get a role in the movie? Like, yeah, yeah, well, maybe they, maybe they did get off he by the He didn't miss their school performance. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just a payback. You know what? My yeah. dad missed every one of my school performances. Well, you'll be CEO of whatever movie. he's up to soon. You know? <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so it sounds like we all liked it for what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think it is a better film than most people will think it is just based on the trailer. I'll, put, I'll yeah. go as, so far as to say that. This is one that I think a lot of people might just say, eh, whatever. Come on, they're trying to make a movie out of Tetris. <laughs> no, this is worth your time. This isn't a movie out of Tetris. It's a movie out of the story about how Tetris came to be this globally dominant right. thing, which is very emblematic of how video games exploded, but also this time in global history when a huge global superpower was kind of crumbling uh -huh. it, or yeah. imploding and you get a little sneak peek into what were the kind of things at play that actually caused that implosion. So do you feel like movies like this are going to start becoming more and more common coming out? Because, I mean, th to me, this because has a very... Because of our Russian... Uh... Oh, not Russian necessarily, but like the things like for... I think Donkey Kong's on its way. Hey, Pac-Man, uh, Zelda. Yeah. Pac-Man. Well, Super Mario you know, Brothers Mario? is this week. No, yeah. I'm not talking about a movie based on the like the action of the game. Oh, I'm talking about the licensing rights of Pac-Man. It is oh. an intriguing story uh, where there are stones that have still yet to be uncovered. Oh, I just meant like I'm making the all the okay. Oh, yeah, all no, right, I, you figured. Son of a I was like, God damn it! Um, you know, like, this the is social after network, April Fool's. Um, did not appeal to me at all. Watching the the huh. Zuckerberg story, I haven't seen that one. And social like, network was it called Social Network? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Okay, well, I will watch it. <laughs> Please now. Oh, is it on Please. Apple TV? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'll check. But that kind of movie generally doesn't appeal to me. But like Tetris, I fucking love Tetris. <laughs> I play Tetris on the regular today. Me too. Uh, did you play Tetris Connect? The one that, well, whatever through the Switch that you're playing with other online players. Yeah, yeah. except I put it on a projector on my wall, and I lay on my couch, and it's binaural, and it's amazing. We could talk about it on After Hours, uh, but um, this my one, daughters I make fun of me. It. They make I, fun I, of me. I've beat every level. Wow. I, I worked for that achievement unlock. Congrats. No one else is proud of me. But I'm um, proud of you, Kaylee. On Beer in a Movie, we yes, are proud of you. I'll make a badge for it. <laughs> um, but no, I mean... Now that we're getting to a point where it's like the information's available, we have more documentation of the things yeah. that are happening when we were younger. Um, like, do you feel like there are going to be more films like this that are coming out? Like The Social Network and now Tetris and... I, I think there's always interest in like stories behind things that come to be huge, right? Like, yeah. you know, like Facebook where, it, you know, it seems like everybody was on it for a time and now maybe 
some people are jumping off, but who knows what they, you know, <laughs> Tetris, like you say, like something that becomes that popular that quickly, but still that we're playing yeah. almost, for, you know, 30 plus 35 years later. Yeah. That's pretty astounding yeah. that, yeah. you know, like that. It, just, it feels like these have a very specific flavor. So, like, yeah. I know there's always going to be movies about things that are popular, but, like, right. these I think have so. a distinct flavor I, I think so. I think we're about to also see in the next five years a big rash of how COVID got started in movies. Oh, I mean, sure. there's a cream for those rashes. <laughs> <laughs> the news of the day. If yeah. you believe the lore, in 1698, Russia's Peter the Great visited England and fell in love with stout beers. And then in the early 18th century, uh, when Ameri when England was really coming into their own, creating the Porter Styles and others, and then trying to ship them to their Russian counter counterpart, was not the, that's not the accurate word, ship them to Russia, the first batch of dark beers did not make it. Uh, because they spoiled on the 1,500-mile journey. And then the second batch did because they ramped up the ABV, hence the Russian imperial stout, an English go. style made to send to Russia in the 1700s. Now, we need that movie. I would watch that movie. Yeah, huh? All we have... You, you could we, have the IPA movie. You could have the oh Russian imperial stout yeah, All we have now is the... the Greatest beer run ever. The oh, film yeah. That came I out with, that. Um, yeah, I remember the trailer. What's the guy's name? Handsome dude. Mr. Oh, uh, uh, High School Musical. Come on. Oh, Zach Efron. Zach Efron. Yeah, goes to Vietnam. Sorry that I was the one that got that from High School Musical. Uh, the old Rasputin from North Coast Brewing is considered by a lot to be an archetype of the style. Um, 9% ABV. It start, first brewed in 1994. What did you guys think? So that you know, this certainly isn't my first time. This was one of the it was one of the first big beers that I remember. Like back in the two thousands when I was starting to branch out and drink some craft beer. Um, I remember there was a bar not too far from the apartment that uh, we were living in at the time that we could walk to. And we would go there and occasionally have dinner, get food, whatever, you know, hang out with some people. And I remember on their beer list at a certain point realizing oh look you know like here are all these beers that are like you know five percent six percent abv but this one is nine percent abv <laughs> like and it's the same price if i buy one of those I'm it's kind of like i just bought two of the mm -hmm. others so i'm going to save money by getting this now you end up getting two of these and getting shit faced hey. well i would have gotten four i would have gotten four of the okay. others um, <laughs> I, I admire your game <laughs> but the, you know, in reality, like it was, it was great luck that it was a beer this good for me who did it. Now I will say, it's funny now the direction that Imperial Stouts have gone since then. That I think we've had many on the show, um, not not necessarily that they call themselves Russian Imperials, but Imperials. Mm -hmm. And you know, they're big beers. They often are a little sweeter. They especially nowadays like with the pastry stuff we had Harold on a couple weeks ago yeah. with those Jay Wakefield stouts mm -hmm. they incorporate a lot of you know like fruits and different kinds of flavors that kind of make them almost like these dessert experiences this isn't that no okay this one actually has a pretty bitter yeah. note in there that I think anchors it now I like that it makes it something that's not really an easy throwback kind of beer for me yeah but it is one that I can sip slowly and enjoy. It was better than the pineapple one we had. <laughs> um, actually, I do like this one uh, considerably more than some of the other ones we've had. So I'm not a big fruity 
drink person, right. um, it, there is like a sharpness to it mm. that is probably that that bitterness you're describing, where mm-hmm. it kind of like kind of just yeah. It's almost kind of dries you out at the end. A little of the bit, sip. Yeah, yeah. It's like right at the back of your tongue, like right by your jaws. You're like, ooh, yeah, okay. Yeah. But that warm finish, that warm finish you were saying earlier, yeah. like, okay, I. If you guys turn me into a bougie beer person, uh, I'm going to be very we, distraught. Hey, it, Kaylee, it is our yeah. goal. <laughs> beer and film, the two greatest art forms known to humanity. I mean, clearly, get on board. Um, I'm doing my best. Yeah. I just watched that other movie. Hey, I sat through the. whole We'll get there. Yeah. I sat. Interesting second half upcoming. Uh, I said at the top that most craft beer enthusiasts will have had this before. David, you said this isn't your first rodeo with the old Rasputin. I feel feel like if we could play a game, maybe in after hours, maybe not with this guest, of coming up with those, not the Mount Rushmore of craft beers, because that limits us to four, but like... What are the, some of the iconic? What are these yeah, iconic yeah. ones? And whenever we hit them on the show, I'll, some, one of us will say, "You can find this at your place. This yeah. is one that everyone's had it, on your craft beer journey when you first got started. I bet you had this one, or maybe this was even a catalyst yeah. for you to enjoy this style a little more than you did." Well, right. then once you get that list, I'll come back and I'll try those four beers, and I'll I can officially say that they were my Mount Rushmore too. Well, oh, I'm saying there's many that. more than four on this oh. list. Was the point? Oh, yeah. well, and I'd love to maybe, watch maybe, you try yeah. these twenty beers all. Maybe not city. that much. That, maybe not that much more. Yeah. Than four. I mean, the, the, but I hear what you're saying. It's, yeah. a, it's a. I think this is a very likely contender sure. for being in that grouping, largely because of its distri- distri- distributorship. It's available, yeah. you know, yeah. and it is as as this website says, one of the kind of archetypical Russian imperial stouts that if you are going to get into this style, you're going to try this one. And yeah. I, I do enjoy this one very much. I. Right. I don't miss the fruitedness that you're talking about that <laughs> yeah. is currently the trend. This is, we say this from time to time when we find it, shelfy material, solidly done style yeah. of a style that is solid to begin right. with. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed this very much. And anytime I can sip a 9%, uh, it's a good day. Yeah, yeah. Well... <laughs> I, I got bad news for you, Joe. We're we're gonna go down in ABV for the second half. I'll but, be okay. but but I think for good reason. Um, we'll, we'll, we have a we have a big and important film to talk about. We Another do. one on our sight and sound mm-hmm. list yep. that we're working through. This is the penultimate for us, um, because we're, we're almost complete on this journey. Yeah. Um, and Kaylee's gonna help us get there when we get back from the break. And, and we're, we're back. back. All right. And we're back. <laughs> um, so we're, we're going to make up for the sins of the first half of the episode where we went all uh, Russian on, on you folks with our Russian Imperial Stout. I felt the only way that I could make up for that was to bring a true American beer on for the second half of the podcast. Mm. Uh, this is, in fact, Turning Point Beers, true American. Uh, it is a, an American-style corn lager. And for those who are uh, unfamiliar, Turning uh, Turning Point is out of, I know they're out of Texas, right? Um, and uh, they, they actually have rules on the can that uh, talk about how to do a shotgun tip-off 
and uh, and and how you do all this. It, it, so there, there's just a lot of fun uh, with this can, and it is truly American. And w- what's more American than a corn lager? So our third visit oh, to Turning Point. Guys. Thank this you. This is this is the game they play on New Girl. Is it? Yeah. So oh, it's true thank American. you. I'm glad. See now, Carlos would have okay, known that. So um, no, if, if on the New Girl show they're they're all playing this ridiculous drinking game and they're like jumping onto the couch and then you have to jump over to a pillow and then you have to like call different things out. It's this a, is it. This is. I, I'm going to take the can home with me because I need to know you how to can play have the it. game. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Before we get into the movie and before we get our noses in the glass, do you remember, David, when guest Josh DeLeon brought us some wonderful coasters that he handcrafted with yeah. movie stills? Mine is... Still using them. Yeah, I'm using it today. Mine is uh, got Scarface all over it. Yeah. Kaylee walks in the door with presents. Presents. Look, what, can you tell us what we're looking at? Because this is just amazing. Do you want me to tell you? Yes, please. Oh, these are um, they are bottle caps with your logo on them. So they say beer in a movie and they've got. That's about cool six inches film. diameter. You know, I mean, if a guy says it's six inches, I'm going to believe him. <laughs> I was saying it's a little small. I mean, it's a little, maybe a little smaller. Yeah. But I wasn't going to call you out. No, that's, a, um, that's a full six. That's a full six. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're, it's a, they're tin bottle caps. Um, so Amazing. I painted them, distressed them, and put your logos on them. Take a picture of that. We'll put it up on yeah. our social media. Yeah. That, that was so cool. Thank and you. also glasses with the etched logos on yes. That I love. Yeah. I did a, a chemical etch on those for you. So I applied the, the acid and did a, didn't do any acid. So anything she can't do, David. I haven't seen yet. I, I can't mean, solder, but I did. I, but you I just got a soldering kit. But I just kit. got my yeah. soldering kit, so yeah. I can learn how to do that next. next. time we see you, so. we'll expect a full solder update. <laughs> yes, I will, I'll have one. You said, you said a corn lager? Yeah. yeah. I smell the corn all in it. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, you know, this this should be an easy drinker, especially compared to our first half. Though, it may, you know, we'll find out flavor-wise if we like it, but mm. it, but it shouldn't be uh, nearly as bitter. Um, or as hefty, mm-hmm. right? I think I think the ABV was around five percent on this. Hefty, so, hefty. <laughs> um, you know, and and we might need to ramp down because this is a serious film that we're talking about. Yeah, it's right five percent on the nose. Um, this is a serious film that we're talking about, right? This is uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe. This has come in at number eight on, on the Sight and Sound Sound's list. top most recent right. top ten list. Right. I believe that you're correct. So it, with this film, we will have completed our reviews of numbers two through ten on that list. Right. We are reserving for next week our final visit to yes. that list, the number one film yes. currently. So we'll, we'll be talking about that next week. But this week, we're talking about the number eight film. Man with a movie camera. Yeah. This is a film that was released in 1928. It's uh, the oldest of that top ten. Right. It comes out of uh, Soviet, uh, the Soviet Union. It was shot throughout por- uh, por- cities in Russia, but also in the Ukraine. So, there, so the, kind of some interesting, uh, you know, cross-border and and historical kind of uh, legacy here that we're still seeing playing out in our current times, right? That, like, these were once parts of the same entity. Now they're separate. and like um, But uh, this was made by a filmmaker who went by the name Ziga Vertov, which translates, I I, uh, take it on good uh, authority because I do not speak Russian myself. Uh, But I know, right? (laughs) Rolling your eyes like, come on, Gurney, get get up to speed here. I thought you you prepared for this. It means spinning top. 
So it's kind of a you know kind of a kooky name. Okay. Um, but it makes sense if you think about the frenetic kind of quality of some of the films that he made, and that like there is this kind of energy to them. Uh, but his his real name was uh, David Kaufman. Uh, his his brother Mikhail or Michael, you know Mikhail, uh, was uh, was also a filmmaker. He was primarily a cinematographer. He is in this film often featured as that man with the movie camera that we're seeing in various scenarios, and we'll get into why we're seeing that and why the film's titled that in just a moment. Um, and then another important player here being Vertov's wife, uh, Yelizaveta Svilova. Okay. I, I trust you. Thank you. Um, who, who does the editing here and also appears in mm -hmm. several uh, shots yeah. and sequences throughout the film where she's at an editing table and she's, you know, sort of working at piecing together footage, um, presumably for this film or at least a film, right? Right. Um, so the, the basic idea here, you know, he... Vertov, along with a number of other filmmakers, kind of had a group that they called, uh, they dubbed themselves like the Cinema Eye, Kino Eye, mm -hmm. Kinox. And, and they were very driven to capture the truth, right? I mean, they, they were really kind of going for this. They felt like cinema was this new language that was emerging and that they would be able to use it to essentially say things that had never been said, to, to convey things that had never been conveyed, and were kind of upset that the way that films seemed to be developing was not really doing something new, but instead reproducing things that had already been done, like taking things from theater, taking things from literature, and just kind of bringing them to a different medium, and not really using the tools of that new medium in ways that could achieve new things. To see a new world. Right. Right. On, on screen. Yeah. And so uh, he had made a number of films leading up to this, but this for most people, and you know, it shows up on the uh, that top 10 and none of his other films are in the top 100. You know, it's like, <laughs> um, the reason why this one is so well remembered is that it was kind of a, you know, it, it in many ways took a lot of the techniques that he had used in various other films and that some other people yes, had to right. and kind of put them all together um, and also did so in kind of a, almost like a version of a, of, a, of a challenge to himself because the film he had made before this, which I just had the title here, it was uh, <sighs> the sixth, sixth part of the world, which I have not seen, mm -hmm. but it used extensively intertitles. Which So this is a silent film, right, as the film before it was, and intertitles were often used in silent films to kind of indicate what was going on in the scene you were seeing unfold that, you know, gave you some, you know, written commentary that kind of mm -hmm. told you, okay, this is why you're watching this. Um, and, you know, he, I think, had been reviewed saying that, like, he had overused intertitles. And as somebody who wanted to sort of show that cinema was something new and that could actually do something on its own and yeah. unique, that was a challenge, right? I mean, it's like, okay, you're telling me I'm just using words in this way and we've used words in writing and like, I'll, I'll do something that doesn't have any of that. Right. Um, and so he set out to make this film that was a documentary of sorts, right? I mean, this is largely, I think, classified as a documentary. Um, in fact, even in some, some folks would call this like part of the subcategory of documentaries called city films or city symphonies, where this idea of capturing kind of 
a day in the life of a city and, and like right. what's going on. Now, the, the city here isn't named. And in fact, they filmed it in at least four or five different cities. Right. Yeah. But the important thing here is that it shows you kind of the events going on throughout this space and over the course of all the events all <laughs> a lot the of events. them yeah i mean not maybe not every event a lot i mean yeah i think every event <laughs> no you I see think birth it, death yeah, yeah no you're yeah. right you're the, right the he's beginning trying. of a marriage the end of a marriage i mean yeah. there's there, it, you're right you're right he's trying he's and trying there, there to were get a everything. couple of scenes like I, I, I watched this with my mother she's in town and there yeah. was a scene i'm like Look, I know this isn't supposed to be sexual, but like, oh girl, <laughs> like it's like the exercise machine where she's like oh, writing yeah, on the yeah, horse yeah. and she's like just making like really intense eye yeah. contact. And I'm like, we can't see what she's writing. I I know, I know. <laughs> There's but. some we, we see like you know very um graphic birth we see mm -hmm. very you know there's yeah so you're right you're right we're seeing the full gamut um <laughs> but interspliced with that there's also this kind of meta commentary and i say meta like it's a film about the film itself mm. of the making of a film right and presumably this film right we're seeing this man with the movie camera mikhail kaufman um move throughout these different spaces and often in ways that are using various forms of trick photography to make it seem like he's, you know, setting up the camera atop another camera or, you know, setting up the yeah. camera in a, in a way that he really never could. We even see there's a stop motion sequence with the camera that shows the camera kind of taking things into its own hands and deciding to like position itself and, and, and do things. Um, we're seeing the camera being mounted to various. This is um, a film that, I think I'm trying to think in the top ten. It's it's almost surprising that this is the only film that really is about filmmaking in that top ten because filmmakers and critics yeah. love films about filmmaking, and this is definitely that. And one of the reasons that this film has stood out to me since I saw it back as an as a as a film student as an undergraduate <laughs> is that it was one of those that before I had, you know, I had seen behind the scenes stuff, like, you know, behind the scenes featurette, interviews with the director and actors on set, and like, you know, maybe a, a shot of a scene being like kind of blocked and, and, and them setting up. But I had never seen anything this extensive in terms of like, how do you set up a camera to get this kind of angle and this kind of shot? Yeah. How do you mount a camera to so? And they were just figuring that stuff out, right? There's These aren't like elaborate tracking systems that they have. This is them mounting a camera to a well, motorcycle. Yeah, it's it's and the birth of filmmaking, storytelling, shown how they're doing the tricks up until this point. And yeah. that's one of the things to admire about it. I, I prepared a list because I think that when I asked Kaylee if she'd like to come on and do this with us, yeah. I, I felt like of the sight and sound films that we've done so far, I was having to make the hardest sell yeah. for reasons that I think if you're looking at that top 10 list and you're a casual moviegoer, no, no, I'm not Wait, talking. Wait, I was like, I think I'm insulted. Wait, I'm not on. talking Is about you a... any longer, Kaylee. Now I'm just saying in general, a black and white movie, not by choice, but rather because that's all that there was uh -huh. at the time, that turns a lot of people off. And now you're talking about a silent film, like a really old film, that turns people off. Oh, it definitely does. I, I thought that this was just because the first thing I ever talked to uh, Dave about was The Bicycle Thief. I thought, <laughs> I thought, this, was, I thought this was my turnaround. I was like, okay, I mentioned that movie to be funny at the bar, and now I get the black and white film. I was actually really excited, and I have some things to say uh, about Well, it. I mean, it's, a top, it's one of those top ten uh, films, which sure. I think is the, the best part of the cell. But I, did, I, made a, I went through it. I made a list of like where the context of this old silent film sits. 
1929. So remember Nope, the movie Nope, where they talk about the moving horse yeah. image? That's 1878. And then you know the story about the train, the black, you know, the train that's coming toward the audience, and the, the audience Brothers, flipped yeah. out mm-hmm. and thought that the, the, they were about to get run over by a train? 1896. A Trip to the Moon, famously the face of the moon and the rocket goes into its eye. It's an image we've all seen. 1902, The Great Train Robbery, where the cowboy points the gun famously at the camera. 1903, The Birth of a Nation, right? Now we're getting into epic filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1915. So how far we're coming along and how things are evolving. Battleship Potemkin, 1925. Uh, where we fully understand now montage and um, many other kind of cinematic storytelling devices. Uh, The General, I just picked one of Buster Keaton, like his magnum opus, 1926. Now we're talking about a a very nice cinematography, um, very well-established story, comedic Mm -hmm. story. Uh, And then the same, uh, then 1927, is The Jazz Singer, which is a film we covered last week in, in a sense because yeah. it's the subject of... Uh, Singing in the Rain. Singing yeah. in the Rain. Then Steamboat Willie, <laughs> yeah. 1928, that one. the year before this, and then two or three years after this, Dracula, Bela Lugosi's Dracula. Yeah, yeah. So where we are kind of in the timeline of these films that... It, it, I think a general film-going audience wouldn't even know what this film is. So to have... That on the top ten, yeah. it seems like it's out of place from the others right. that are all in color and all speaking language and all very. Uh, uh, there's no there's no other documentaries on the list, right? Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. That was my like prepared statement for putting this in its full context. Yeah. When when I was going into the film, um, so I'd seen the trailer for it, and I tried to convince my teenager to watch it with me he's been expressing interest on film and whatnot. I'm like, yeah. cool, I know some guys you should meet. Um, he was like, no, I'm not interested. I was like, okay. You shouldn't, um, shouldn't have shown him more pictures. I know. <laughs> it was a mistake. No, but um, he would he would come in. He's like, it looks like you're watching something we'd see before a movie at Alamo Draft House. What are you watching? I was like, you know, you're not wrong. But coming into it, even though I don't have like a super like intimate uh, familiarity with film at the time, I was thinking, I'm like, okay, so this is 1920s. I was like, well, the Dada movement for, you know, like, European avant-garde, like, mm-hmm. that's like 1950s. I was like, okay, it can get a little weird for me. So I think, like, I had a little bit of context of maybe what was going on artistically. Yeah. Even if I didn't have a super, like, tight grasp on this is what I should expect from film. But what I really did enjoy about the opportunity to watch this one, I had no idea what a, what some of these terms were. And so I started Googling them because yeah. I looked it up. I'm like, all right, there's no words. All right, hold on. All right. So I start Googling stuff. I'm like, oh, so he's doing this. Oh, this angle is called this. And we were sitting there at one point. My mom and I are on the couch. I was like, just so you know, that's a split screen Dutch <laughs> angle. That's going. And she's like, um, okay. <laughs> I'm like, no, I wish I would have watched this before I watched all the other movies for the weekend. Uh, because then I started looking and um, just like clicking all the links. Like, yeah. okay, well, what's this? Okay, well, what's this? Yeah. And now I think I'm going to get ruined for watching movies. Because now I'm going to start looking for those angles and those tricks a little. Oh, oh, yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's, in working. A, in a it's working. It's working. In a different way. But that's exactly what I said. Why this film is on the top ten mm-hmm. is not because it is narratively strong. Although it kind of it is. is. I think it is. It, it, is a, it presents itself as a documentary of the day, like you say, David, a day in the life of a city. 
yeah. beginning with people getting up out of bed, homeless getting up off of their you know park bench, park yeah. bench, yeah. Um, uh, washing your face, uh, uh, you know, uh, washing your hair, you know. Then about two thirds in, about halfway through to about two thirds in, the, the you see like a the free, the f- image freezes on the screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes, as you say, a meditation about how this exact film was put together. Yeah. And it's almost like if it is a documentary about the making of a film, it's teaching the film-going audience who had no internet, who I guess there was how they make movie articles in different publications. Yeah, Surely yeah. there was. But almost like this is how we're doing the tricks that we're showing you right yeah. now. I didn't even think about that. And I yeah. think that and you see, like you see the editor – Edit together one of the scenes that is th- right. th- that was just shot and then presented, and it's this film is fascinating, yeah, and certainly deserves to be recognized. Yeah, um, I think you know the 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 challenging thing here, I think, for a lot of folks, and and you know, I'm I'm speaking for myself here as much as anybody, is that silent film. Um, you know, we, we've been away from it for almost 100 years now, right? Yeah, and yeah. certainly, you know, when I first, I couldn't even tell you what the first silent film, I mean, I'm sure I saw clips from them on television when I was younger or whatever, but Charlie the first Chaplin one that I actually maybe, or... sat down and watched the entire thing, I find it a real challenge sometimes to focus in the way, because I'm so attuned to dialogue and voice and performance in those ways that I've come to be accustomed to with sound film Mm -hmm. that watching silent film really takes a different kind of attention from me. Yeah. And it's one that I've struggled with over the years because I, you know, want to know more. I'm, I'm somebody who, who is always wanting to have that experience. If I read about a film, I want to watch it. If I, I want to experience it, but when I put it on, I have trouble focusing. Sometimes I have trouble locking into it. Where I've had the best experiences, and I think how I actually saw this one first is when I'm seeing it with a group of people in a dark room. And so I will say, as opposed to Tetris in the first half of this episode, I do feel like this one that would benefit from seeing it on a big screen in a quiet theater with a bunch of people. Sure, who are no distractions, together, right? Yeah. Um, and because it helps me to kind of keep my focus on it, because I think if you're with it and you're paying attention to what's going on, there are some really interesting stories being told and statements being made. And like mm-hmm. you say, Joe, I think that there's some layering to that because some of it is just like a simple like, look, here's a day in the life of the city. Here's really a, a cross section of what happened, like of the human experience in, in essence, because we're seeing birth, death, marriage, like, you know, like all of these different moments of people, sport, work, work, um, the, the, what it means to live in the modern world, right? Being surrounded by machines. There's a big long sequence that I love that's all these like kind of shots of different machinery going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's doing all these things, but it's also like you say, it's about the making of the film itself. It's exposing how all how a lot of these sort of trick photography things are done. It's exposing how editing kind of puts that stuff together, um, and it's doing things through the editing that we don't expect. You made you made mention of that sort of Soviet montage, right? And th- this is a different approach to editing than what we see. Even today, I mean, there are filmmakers who use aspects of this, but here, a lot of times, shots are put together 
not because it shows us sequentially a story unfolding like this character gets up and now we cut to a shot of them leaving the house and then we cut to the shot of them in the car right you know like something that would have this kind of continuity to it because we're seeing like this continuation of an action instead we're seeing you know shot of you know a, a woman washing this sort of thing and then a shot of a machine doing that kind of what you know and it's like making these kind of comparisons and like, well, look, this is labor that humans do. Now we have mm -hmm. labor that machines do. Now we have these, and it's getting, and it's forcing us as viewers to kind of make those connections in ways that we, I mean, it's almost, po it's poetic in some yeah. ways, right? I mean, like it's kind of impressionistic at mm -hmm. times, but then sometimes very grounded. It's, he's doing a lot. He packs a lot into this film. Every time I watch it, I find different little moments where I'm like, oh yeah, that's how interesting how we put those things together. Yeah. I think it would really, uh, like for me, it would change my experience on like who I was watching it with as well. Cause I know mm. I made some jokes to my mom. Cause like, you know, it's, it's my mama. Like we're sitting there and the women are like, one's covering her face with mud and like, yes, like, some nude bathing. But yeah. then she's like putting it on the person in front of her. And then a man sits on the, another man's lap. I'm like, they were just roommates. <laughs> and you know, like we're, we're making our own jokes about it. But I'm like, I'm sure if I watch this with, you know, with my son, I might, other things would stand yeah, out a little differently. Yeah. So I, I would be, I would be interested in watching this again more so than I'd be interested in watching Tetris again. Like if we had to compare yeah, the yeah. two films. No, I, I agree with that. I think that of the top 10 films or the nine that we've discussed, because I still haven't seen number one yet. Yeah. This is the one that, as I say, is going to take the most work to, 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 to enjoy. Because I don't think that that a majority of our audience, and I could be wrong here, approaches things with film student, you know, uh, detail like that. That this one feels like this one feels like at the beginning of it, like oh, I guess I gotta take some medicine, you know, to <laughs> to, to to round out this top ten <laughs> silent film, black and white, Russian, my God. <laughs> but why is it there? Yeah. Because it's the first time that we're seeing, as you say, a love for the craft that we're here to celebrate on this list yeah. to begin well, with. Well, and this real yearning to establish it as something sure. truly unto itself, and, not and, just a yeah. slave to to play to right. theater, not just a slave it's to literature. It's very avant-garde, this but, movie. Yeah. And, and, and it's also technique that all the other movies on the top ten yeah. can look back at this one and say this was one of the birthplaces yeah. for that type of yeah. shot, that type of cut, that type mm. of effect. Right. So, yeah, I, I hold this film up in really, really high esteem. Yeah. It's on um, public domain, so you can just go to YouTube There's tons of versions it. of it. In fact, I one of the things I wanted to... Uh, this was my first time watching it with the particular score that I, I listened to with this one. So the, the one... And this was the first one that came up on YouTube when I searched it mm -hmm. this time. Uh -huh. Had uh, the Cinematic Orchestra, which... We might have I, watched the same one. I was somewhat familiar with because they they were kind of popular in the late... Not popular, in, in college radio in the late 90s. <laughs> um, they were they, really cool group, like combining elements of jazz and hip-hop and, and whatnot. And uh, and they did a score for it. I think mm -hmm. it was around 2003 or something. Okay. For a, it was for a Portuguese film festival. It was commissioned, and I had never heard it. Like I had, I've seen versions of this. I have 
a version on DVD in my office, but this was on YouTube and it was easier for me to just watch at home. And I loved the score. I mean, I've liked the score. I think I've heard at least a couple others in the past and liked them, but this one I thought was great. It had like record scratching at certain points. There was like this, the drummer is a beast. And like the, the whole segment where it was like a lot of the machinery and stuff, or actually I remember in particular the, the part where we're seeing like people, um, building the boxes that cigarettes are getting stuffed mm-hmm. into. Okay. And there's like a lot of this repetitive motion where like you're seeing it, it'll cut back and forth and there's very rhythmic. It's a very rhythmic kind of edit. And the drummer is just nailing it where he's like, bump, dump, 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 I bump, think we dump, watched dump, dump. a different version. I yeah. Watched on, well, <laughs> I watched on Voodoo. There are many different scores. Um, if you look on like Wikipedia, yeah. there's at least like a dozen different I scores. I saw that it was right. remastered in 2015, yeah. and that's the only one that's not available on uh, public domain. Okay, uh, so I didn't see the Blue new. Ray. I didn't see the remastered too. Yeah. So um, when when I watched it, I had like a couple moments where I was like, okay, the soundtrack is kind of making me like anxious a little bit oh. because I was waiting for something to happen. Like the the tension starts to build, and like you maybe like the the tempo was kind of going up but nothing was really happening i'm like yeah. oh shit is something about to happen yeah. is something about it's like when you're in a video game and you're like out in the middle of nowhere but all of a sudden the music starts you're like there's enemies <laughs> close like yeah, where yeah, are yeah. and i'm just yeah. like looking around for the danger and there's no danger yeah um and then it was just kind of like oh okay now yeah. we're easing back into something else i was like okay soundtrack we gotta have a talk now i'm anxious a little bit i mm-hmm. thought something was happening Okay, cool. More black and white. This cool. is the second oldest film we've covered on Beer in the Movie, the first being Nosferatu from 1922. Mm-hmm. And the conversation we had back then was that these older films are in public domain, do have various scores because the, the film company didn't produce the score and put it out mm-hmm. on DVD back yeah. in 1922. So right. over time, you've got uh, interpretations that because uh, you'll rem- you know, you've seen uh, in in movie versions of silent movies, there's a guy that's traveling with the movie that's playing the pipe mm-hmm. organ or, or a little yeah. tiny band or a piano or whatever. And when they finally lock something into it, it's not official. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so until kind of the public says, let's let this be the official one or until maybe some big orchestra does a big thing and they yeah. produce that and, and put it out. But the notion that, of all the movies we've done on beer in the movie, we've done two from the twenties and none from the tens. Yeah, and there's not a that's not a surprise. These aren't the films that you go to for enjoyment immediately. Well, and it's a different. I mean, it really is a different medium because exactly. it is one that doesn't have dialogue. It's one that doesn't. You know, in the acting styles, even though acting isn't as much of a factor here, there is some. I mean, clearly they're staging some of these. The the shots of Mikhail doing his setups right. or her in the editing room like mm-hmm. there's function there but they're clearly staging them to be able to shoot them the way yeah. that they do um but it's not the same when you see silent movie acting you know like i mean we we just did singing in the rain right like the idea of like it's these over exaggerated kind of gestures that people are doing because you're conveying emotion not through your voice not through you know subtle changes in in your you know tone or whatever mm-hmm. but instead you know because your body's collapsing or whatever it is. So it, it's a very different medium. And I think it has its own charms. I think if you can find your way into it, like Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, I think. I, I mentioned the general, watch it. Oh, yeah. You're on the edge of your seat. That's sure, a fantastic yeah. movie. We, we should do a Chaplin film someday. We should do a Keaton. So, I mean, the, there is value in going back there and seeing this stuff. But I agree with you, Joe. This is a hard, because it's it's a, it's sort of a, a dead art form. I mean, there's very few people who purposefully choose. Now, there are filmmakers occasionally who go for something that's almost silent, right? 
um, to almost like as a challenge, but it's but it's a choice they're making. It's not mm-hmm. because it's the way that they have to do yeah. things. Um, you, you know, what one other little point I wanted to make, you know, pairing these two films, I, I you know, may have seemed like a bit of a stretch. We're, we're taking a film from 2023 and a film from 1928 and putting them together. Now they both have connections to Russia. I think there's there's sure. some overlap there. <laughs> it's the best connection we made in this sight yeah. and sound pairing. <laughs> but but I, maybe, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but... But I, what what I loved about this, and I hadn't even really gone into it thinking this, is, look, Tetris is the story of the end of the Soviet Union in many ways and how where the Soviet Union had gotten in terms of creativity, right? Like, Alexei is totally penned in and he has no ownership over his own ideas, his own thing. It's all dependent on what the sort of bureaucrats above him decide should be done with this thing or whatever. And, and yet his creative spark is there. He still makes these things. He's still drawn to doing them. Um, but he sort of struggles to, to, to get them out there. This is a very different moment, right? This is early in the Soviet Union. This is when artists were actually energized by the, the revolution, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they had just had this huge win. The workers are taking control. The people have the power now. And the 20s was really this time where these Soviet filmmakers, you mentioned uh, um, Eisenstein. Eisenstein with Potemkin. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we could point to, uh, you know, certainly Ziga Veritov. And, and there are some others, Lev Kuleshov, who, you know, who were making films and experimenting because they were excited about where we finally got control. Like, fuck the aristocrats, fuck the aristocracy. We got them out of there. Workers are in control now. We get to say and do things. We get to elevate the people. We get to show the common man doing their thing and how noble it is. And we're going to do so through a new language that we are defining ourselves. We're in that excitement, that kind of verve for like, we're going to do this thing and we're going to do it better. You can feel it. It's like a really, if you get into the vibe that's going on with those films, and it can be a struggle, you know, and having the historical context does help. And, and, and it's a bit of a homework. It's like kind of ch- a chore almost. But I think if you can get there, there's some real kind of cool energy about these things. Now, sure. the sad thing is in just a few years, that energy was going away. Yeah. The, those filmmakers like Vertov, like Eisenstein, were getting their hands slapped and told, no, you can't go too far. Like the, the, the government, we're not comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. And things started being dictated to them and they weren't as able to make the work that they wanted yeah. to and creativity got squelched a bit and we ended up at where we did with Alexi in, in, in Tetris. But I think in a weird way, these films are almost kind of like bookends of the Soviet sure. creativity. I like that. I like yeah, it. we're very, very intelligent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a reason why this film is lauded and Battleship Potemkin is the one you see in film school period and that's because while Hollywood took over being the central core of movie making worldwide for yeah. a period of time, the birth of cinema really took place with these Russian films. Uh, the language of cinema. Should, yeah. Let me say that. The language of cinema. What Hollywood did better than them and with more freedom than they had to do it was develop a storytelling technique that became popular yeah. to view these films yeah. by. And um, Well, and it's, I mean, and there, there we could go. But I mean, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a lot about we in the West and certainly through Hollywood 
developed a much more succinct kind of storytelling that was replicable. Like you could repeat it. And, and so we did forever yeah. and, ever, and focus and much ever, more on the individual, right? Swap like out the, the hero, the, 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 the hero, the one who's going to do it. Like, and even though we kind of have a titular hero here with mm-hmm. the man with the movie camera, like it's really that, you know, that's just really a window into, well, this is the filmmaking we do. This is how mm-hmm. we do it. It's really about all the people here. And that was, you know, a unique approach, but one that's largely gone away. Yeah. Well, I, I, so I, I don't think we would have, but for this sight and sound list, we would not probably have done this film, you know, Maybe not. Uh, on Maybe the show. Not. We so, could have done Anastasia. I'm happy, I'm happy I'm that we Or uh, what was, we was, was that a Kingsman movie that had Rasputin in it recently? Was I, it, I, I don't know. There was, I, just, I, know. I just, I just, I frequently sing the Rasputin song from uh, Anastasia oh, yeah? in the Dark of the Night with Bartok, the little talking bat. Right. Oh, nice. And I still say Dasvidanya to my kids every once in a while. <laughs> I'm just like, Dasvidanya, like, go to bed. So, sorry. So, ne- <laughs> next week, we wrap it up. This this part of the show, yeah. With um, what's her, what's her name? Jean Jean Dielman. Thank you, thank you. And what are we pairing it with? Remind me. It's been I've slept a couple Dude, times. Dude, we got to figure that. We out. We haven't done it yet. No, oh that's God. the you. you right. Yeah, no, we we'll, we'll but talk. But we do have a guest, yeah. right? No, we, we have a talk, man. Yeah, yeah, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, taking applications. We we do need. <laughs> <laughs> we do need to address the beer uh, that that we took it that you know and again like to to help try to uh, make amends for our uh, you know insensitive inclusion of Russian culture this episode <laughs> we tried to balance some with the uh, true American sure. lager here what what did you think Joe I, I uh... Um, <laughs> I, I You're not a lager guy. I don't I like those corn lagers. So yeah. the moment you said corn lager, I had to turn off my prejudice. Yeah, as we all should at all times. Yeah. But then I took a whiff of it. and I was like, I, "This is the. I hope it's as good as, good as a Lone Star." And you know what? It was and, yeah. a, little, and a little bit better. But that corn lager just d- d- delivers a thin, non uh, taste I don't enjoy. Yeah, it's sweet. Not my favorite. It's got, got a little sweetness there. I mean, it's it, easy this, to drink. You're right. This is very comparable. They're making a beer that is supposed to be a version of the domestic lager that yeah. we're all familiar. You know, your Budweiser, yeah. your uh, your Miller. You know, like this is this is not supposed to be challenging in that way, except for those who have decided that they do not like those beers. Right. And and we're we're some of those people, right? right? So so this is kind of a challenge to the sort of thing that I tend to. Go towards, though I think I can tell that it is well made. Yeah, and I can tell that it is. Uh, I would I would prefer this over some of those other brands that you just listed. Right. If forced to drink it, it's right. just not my favorite yeah. style, and that's not really a knock on the yeah. beer. It's more about me expressing my opinions right. about what I like. Right, and as our listeners know, I'm a little bit more of a crispy a boy. Yeah. I, I do I do go more for the lagers than Joe does, certainly, and and actually more than most of our guests do. Um, I like something that's easy to drink, especially these days. If I, I, I like to have multiple beers, I don't want to go like to the crazy 9% old Rasputin anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that, there was that version of me maybe 15, 20 years ago. Last week. <laughs> there you go. Um, but this one, I, I like, I think is serviceable. I don't know that I would put this, I tend to like Pilsners better than American corn lagers, in part because there's less sweetness, a little more like kind of hoppy quality in there. But this is a totally serviceable one. I'm I'm not I, I think they nailed what they were trying to do. 
I get, I, I get the same impression. I think this tastes like the Midwest in a can. Yeah, um, that, there you so go. So it just it, drinking it makes me think of going back to Missouri and like being in my early twenties. Like I would drink like six or ten of these yeah. and and play the game on the can and be yeah. jumping around somebody's living room. Well, now I got to watch New Girl. But That's if, a, uh, I'll send you the link for it. Thank for the you, video. please. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I don't think if I were you know going out for date night, hey, uh, you wanna grab a beer? You know what? I had this thing called a true American. I want one of those. That wouldn't happen. But if I showed up to a house and it was like, hey, beer's in the fridge. Uh, we're starting a game. Five yeah. minutes. Go get ready. Like, I would go grab a beer. I'd be fine. But it's yeah. kind of like water. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Well, Carlos, like, Carlos like would chill, love that. Yeah. Chill. Yeah. I, I like the darker stuff better. Yeah. yeah. What's your go-to? Like, what's in your fridge if there's beer Vodka. in the fridge? Oh. oh. Um, <laughs> so you if are Russian. Beer, <laughs> right? See how we just went full circle. Um. So I want to say usually like if it's just going to be like a boring like basic like Anthony will pick me up like Guinness or something like I like you dark like the darker beers. beers yeah I like stuff that's like a little bit sweet mm-hmm. yeah but I don't I obviously don't want fruit flavored uh-huh. um, some of the bakery ones aren't too bad like the chocolate stouts aren't too bad yeah yeah um, I mean I really enjoy coffee so I do like mm-hmm. kind of like a bitter to it but when it gets like when it's like, too fizzy and it's too light and yeah. There's not enough alcohol to be worth the carbs and the burping. Like there you go. Yeah. I don't know. I got a not little, enough. Alcohol but I accidentally either. got pretty toasty the first time I joined you guys because I was like, I'll pick up a four pack. I'll be fine. And then. Oh, that uh, was on Zoom. If, yeah. I, remember, if I remember. Yeah. yeah. Well, that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That was a fun one. Now well, I now I drive home. So. Uh, <laughs> right. We gotta keep. We gotta keep it careful. We gotta keep it careful. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, th- I, it's it's always great to have you on, Kaylee. Thank you. And uh, yeah, and ma- maybe next time we'll we'll have you try to pick one of the beers, or at least I, point us in a direction. I almost brought one. I was okay. looking. I was looking. I'm gonna do you guys proud. I'm gonna bring you a beer you haven't had. All right. It's my it. new. It's my new goal. I, I know you that. will. I know you will. Well, listen. The best thing about beer in a movie is that while we're done talking about Russia and Russian beers and the American counterpart, the true American beers, the conversation does not have to end here. You can follow us all over social media. Your favorite thing. We're on it. Facebook. Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we're on Discord where we chat. Kaylee's on the chat. You can oh, yeah. meet her virtually at our Discord. The name of our server is Beer and a Movie. The conversation continues. Or if you just DM us on any of the other things I just said, we'll send you the link so that you can get in there easily. And we've mentioned it a couple of times. We're about to have a no-holds-barred, completely uncensored Second conversation in our Patreon subscriber only after hours bonus episode, patreon.com slash beer and the movie podcast. If you like us a little bit and five dollars doesn't completely break your bank, why don't you go ahead and subscribe and look, you can go in there, binge everything we've ever done there. And then get out if it's not your cup of tea. <laughs> there you go. Do one month. Just listen to all whatever, uh, you know, dozens of episodes we have in there. Yeah. But you do love us. You really, yeah, really do. Yeah. Which means that on your favorite podcast platform, before you leave, rate us. Leave us a review. Make it five stars so the algorithm can. Kaylee? Do, do what? It do. Do. <laughs> I, was like, I was so caught off guard. I was. It puts no, us, but you did it perfectly. You got half perfect. of it right. It, it puts us out there as an option for more listeners when you help us out that way. You've just experienced <laughs> another mm, Moscow-friendly new episode of Beer and a Movie. Until next time. You don't do it often, true, but you do make exceptions. Because you know as well as I do, partners are what make us great. That's why Mario has Luigi. That's why Zelda has Link. That's why Mike Tyson has whoever he's punching out in Punch-Out.